Welcome to The Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Emma and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today I'm joined by an absolutely amazing woman. Pip is, she's an independent lived experience advocate. She's an advocate for all things women's health. She's an author. She's a wife, a mother and a stepmom. She's a lover of travel and cooking and she loves placemaking and making changes at the grassroots level in her community. So thank you so much for joining me today, Pip. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So I did say that you love travel and you are joining me. So instead of joining me from sort of down, well, it would be a long road, you're joining me from the other side of the world today. Indeed. I'm tuning in from Paris. I'm so jealous. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredibly beautiful here. (laughs) Yeah, we've got some sunshine, but it's not the same as, it's not the same as being in Paris, is it? (laughs) There's sunshine in Paris too. It's actually beautiful weather. Mm. Lovely. So this is our 50th episode for the podcast. And because it is 50, I put a call out to ask people for some suggestions for what we should do for our 50th episode. And somebody suggested that we should cover what it's like to turn 50. So we've just, we've also just celebrated our second birthday for the podcast. So I'm super excited by that. We should be up to 52 episodes, but a couple got missed. And one of the reasons that I asked you to be a guest on this is I remember talking to you just after your 50th birthday and you telling me how liberating it was to turn 50. It was incredible. I I always remember the day I turned 40 and my mother rang me and she said, happy birthday, darling. 50 is so much better. (laughs) And when I got there, I thought she is so right. (laughs) So as someone who's just turned 40, always nice to know that, you know, we're still we're still heading in the right direction. Uh, definitely, definitely. It's it's interesting. I, I'm quite I am a little bit fascinated about that seven year age cycle. Mm. So 49 is the seventh seven year cycle, if you see what I mean. And yeah. I certainly found that year to be, you know, if not now, when. So mm. I self-published my memoir when I turned 49. It was just like I have got to get this book out into the world I've been working on it for 11 years <laughs> by the time can't rush that these I, things published it. <laughs> can't rush art and it was just one of those things where there's something about 50 that felt like you know the permission you've just got to get on with it and and uh, I know Brene Brown talks about that like you know the world is saying to you come on we're not dicking around here you've got to do this That's and it. so there's something about that that incredible push as you come up to 50, I guess for me, there was something about backing myself mm. and almost having like a permission slip. And it's like, here I go. I certainly too, for me, self-publishing a book meant that I crossed the line and I, I outed myself. I am an author. And once you are out, you can't go back. And that's been a really important thing for me personally. And it look, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there. Yes, writing is, is a bit like that. And uh, <laughs> yes, because because um, when it's written, it's no longer yours and things change. Although I, I still, I feel very happy with that first book. Mm. Uh, the second book is taking a very long time as well. I'm hoping as, I, as I'm as i actually nearing my, I just turned 57, so I'm getting closer to being 60 and I'm just thinking, I'm really hoping my writing will speed up. <laughs> Well, it took 11 years for the first one. If you can get it in under 11, it's getting faster. But That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Yeah, we might need to work on some processes somewhere, I think. (laughs) 
Indeed. But I guess, so I guess when I was growing up, this idea of people aging, it never seemed to be, there never seemed to be the same kind of pressure around men's ages. But, you know, growing up, I had friend's mum, so one particular friend's mum who, when she turned 40, she went to bed for a week and just wouldn't speak to anybody, wouldn't, she wouldn't leave her bedroom, let alone leave the house. And then other people who, when they turned 50, it was like, that's it. It's all downhill from here. And that kind of that real pressure point that come with those milestone birthdays. It's a really interesting one, and I, and I have often reflected on, on what my mother had said to me when I turned 40 about mm. how wonderful 50 was. And on reflection for her, one of the things that was so wonderful is the children get to a stage where they are much more launched into the world. And for a woman, you actually have room and space for things for yourself. And mm. that just gets broader and broader and broader the older the children get. And, and I guess... I think we really underestimate the transition of when our children become adults. Yeah. It's a massive, massive transition. I think, you know, like all these things, those transitions can really vary. Like uh, <laughs> my daughter is half Greek, uh, not my half. And uh, there is a saying, <laughs> there is many, many Greek sayings, but there's that Greek saying, you know, little children, little problems, big children, big problems. Yeah. But when... When things have gone okay with your kids, when they when they when they become adults and you start to develop that adult adult relationship, it's just magnificent. And and I think we don't talk about adult parenting enough. We just assume that it's all about when they're under eighteen. But I mean, I think about my my own dear mother is still going uh, mm. at ninety five. So most of her and my relationship, we've both been adults, and it's been a very rich and rewarding and special relationship. And I just think, you know, these are the sorts of fruits that the 50s are all about is the adult-adult relationships. It's the, it's the, you know, like once you have children, your life runs on two tracks, you know, what's happening for them, what's happening for you. But, but that, that second track sort of disappears off and so it just becomes one track. What am I doing? What am I here to do? What am I here to do? Let's get on with it. And there is that, there's that permission, let's get on with it moment that I guess I, I personally find to be really exciting. It's interesting that you bring that up. I suppose I'm at that, I'm sort of at that junction point now with my eldest child. I'm going to be honest, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with the the transition from me knowing where she is all the time, me being the person that takes her where she needs to go, being involved, knowing her friend's parents, not, you know, all of that kind of stuff to now she's, she's off, she's at uni, she's she's doing her thing, you know, fingers crossed I've raised her in the best way that I possibly can and she's making sensible decisions, but I'm not part of those decisions. And that isn't talked about much either. That, you know, so, and so I guess, you know, by the time I'm hitting 50, my kids will, you know, they'll be off in the world. But there are lots of parents now who I would say by the time their kids are hitting 50, they may have 10-year-olds. That's true. That is very true. But, I mean, even a 10-year-old, you, just, you know, your life does open up a little bit more. Well, yes, <laughs> it mean, does, but not in the same way that it does with a 28-year-old. <laughs> so. No, no. When my mum was um, 50, um, I was only 10 because she was 40 when she had me. Yeah. But it's just that her life is still a lot freer. You know, mm. she did – she was a bit um, 
extravagant and had six children in eight years. So, <laughs> oh, oh, I know, I know, yeah. So, so obviously, you know, by the time I, the youngest was 10, you know, it's your life is just starts to open up a lot more. Yeah, I think too, it can be. So, I know it's not always the case, but it can be that perhaps financially things are doing mm. okay, and I think also there's that there's that experience behind you like I just remember around about this period of time I just had this thing you know back yourself because I don't know women often question themselves and so forth but when you actually you can feel yourself backing yourself yeah and and you have that experience behind you it I don't know it, it just allows for you to move into the world a little more and I guess do what the sorts of things that you and I really love to do, which is to speak up for women, to speak mm. up for women's health and to advocate. And you've got that. It is, it's a power. It's a power of that experience. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're still living in a culture where we don't see women aging. So we don't see women aging That's on right. television. And, you know, we, we've probably got a couple of news readers that are still around, despite the fact that they're no longer in their twenties or thirties, but predominantly we're, we're not representing older generations of women and yet for your experience you're saying that when you got to that age of 50 that felt like you you hit your power and you were grabbing hold of it. That's true and what's interesting to me is I was dyeing my hair mm. and I um, recently this year as mentioned already um, it's my 57th year and I took the decision to like many people in COVID I decided I would resign from my position to see if I could have a little bit more time for writing and other pursuits. And it was a very big and complex decision for me. And I wanted to have something to external to show that transition. So I quit down my hair. Oh. And as it turns out, my hair is completely silver. <laughs> and I've had people say to me, oh, my God, your hair looks amazing. Your haircut is fantastic. It's literally the same, the same haircut. haircut. Yeah. 15 years, same hairdresser. Bonchel Hair and Beauty in Coolbluff, if anyone would love to give a shout out to my hairdresser. <laughs> but you know, it's it's um it it's exactly the same, but it's but it's me now. Yeah. And what interests me too is I have had women say to me, so my contemporaries say to me, I'm not ready to do that yet. Mm. And sometimes they talk about concerns about employability. Yeah. Um, if they have grey hair. So I, it's funny because I I feel much more employable now than when I <laughs> When my hair was done, it could just be an illusion. I don't know. Well, but there's something about being able to be myself yeah. that is, again, really empowering. I think that there's a couple of things there. One, so I um, have just recently had fluorescent pink hair for you know a significant period of time, and it, I'm just in the process of stripping it out. But with that, there's this, you can't be a professional woman with fluorescent pink hair. And my argument is, well, it's what's in my head that makes me, that, you know, that's what got me this position, not what's on my head. So it really doesn't matter what colour my hair is. But, yeah, there's that kind of thing about the employability, about people who have fluoro pink hair or whatever that might be. There's the authenticity. There's also, as somebody who employs only women, women in their 50s are generally not in that, they're not likely to go off and go on maternity leave. They're not likely to have small children at home and need to have time off. They are my ideal people to be employing so you know women in their 50s come at me <laughs> so, yeah so absolutely yeah it's really interesting that other people feel like being in their 50s means 
And I hear it a lot. Oh, well, you wouldn't hire somebody who was in their 50s or 60s. Yeah, I would. If you can still do the job when you're 95, I'll employ you. But just this idea that, oh, well, you know, once you're in that job, you can't change because I'm 50 now and I won't be able to get another job. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm curious to know what the, you know, because the, the COVID market is a really different market. Mm. Um, and I wanted to circle back to what you said too about the, about the pink hair, because I feel again, like women in roles like ours, uh, when we are not-for-profit professionals, I kind of feel like the pink hair is important. I mean, I, I quite like my loud pants. I think loud pants are quite important. So whilst I may have grey as opposed to pink hair, I have very loud. Still got the loud pants. pants <laughs> that I wear, you know, and, then, and there's something about that perhaps more informal, more down-to-earth thing that, again, I feel is, is really important in the for-profit sector. But, you know, maybe that's me. I, I, don't like, I don't like it too corporatised, but then, again, as a lived experience sort of independent consultant, that re- it really is about we're here to be real, not to be schmick and that's that's exactly it I think judge me on what judge me on what I've done judge me on what I can do not on my appearance because when you get me you get me and so you get me sometimes you get me with no makeup and bags under my eyes and my hair's in a messy bun and you know if I'm lucky and you get me in you know whatever that might be and other times I might actually get up 10 minutes earlier and manage to put makeup on. It's very, very rare you're going to get that version of me. But it doesn't matter what the outside looks like because you're going to get me. And that's that's big hand gestures. It's inappropriate stories. It's going off on tangents. But there's some solid substance under there rather than nothing in a power suit. Yes, yes. And I think there's something, that key thing that we're talking about, which I think is that authenticity. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing and your values are really aligned. And I don't know, there's there's such a great freedom in that. That's what I guess I have always found. Yeah. And, you know, I remember in the meeting that we were at and when you said, when I, we generally try not to swear, but anyway. Yeah, I'm going to make an exception. I think the words were something along the lines of, I realised when I turned 50, I've got zero fucks left to give. You know, like there's no, it's it's not about what anybody else thinks anymore. Now I just get to be me. And I was not far off 30, you know, at the time. And going, God, do I have to wait until I'm 50? And he went, no. Definitely not. <laughs> the sooner the better. That's it. Yeah. So I'm yeah. hoping it still gets better and by 50 I'll have nailed it. But yeah, that kind of idea that why is it that we put so much power in other people's hands around mm. how we worry about how we're perceived by those people? Exactly. I mean, I do. I am a huge Brene Brown fan. So I, Me too. I do find, I feel like I quote her quite a lot. But I feel like, you know, some of the insights around judgments of other people on what you're doing. And she says it's really important for you to think about who those people are that, that you really respect. Yeah. And that will give you a, you know, a useful, rounded, professional and, you know, perhaps not too partial. So not, not necessarily the person that loves you the most, but people who, who you would really rate their opinion. And she said, usually it's going to be at tops, it'll be three people. And anyone else, honestly, it doesn't really matter. And you do, it's like all of these things, 
you can get used to anything like you can get used to public speaking you can get used to feeling people's disapprobation and you just think okay they don't like me I'm, I'm not their flavor yeah and there's so much freedom in that there's so much freedom in that and that's you know I think I, I suppose it's like this there's so many different things where women are constrained you know not supposed you know it's all about your looks and all that sort of thing but I, I guess I feel like we do need to understand the paradigm we're in, but we don't have to accept it mm. and we can subvert it. Yeah. You know, I always, I always say that I'm about a, a compassionate disruption of the status quo. And I think it's important to be compassionate, but it's also important to disrupt the status quo in my humble opinion. A hundred percent. And often, you know, well, society says this, you get where society, right? So if we don't like what society's saying, we get to be part of that change and we get to say, well, I don't want to say that anymore. And so actually this is this aligns with my values more and this is the way that I'm going to interact. This is the way I'm going to support other women who are finding their own space and finding their own power. And so I get to change this part of society. And there's a ripple effect from that. Definitely, 100%. So how do we, how do we make it so that women who are in their 50s and beyond are more visible in our society? What a good question, because, you know, I sometimes feel like with my silver hair, I think sometimes people look past me more than they used to, possibly, possibly not, because we are we are where we are. I think, though, sometimes I think it's a really bad idea to, like, definitely really bad idea to watch um, too much news mm. and to definitely social media is, isn't, isn't great, isn't a great use of our time for all sorts of reasons. And I think that you know, we can potentially go, oh, you know, I'm invisible, I'm unemployable and, and buy into that. Or you can just go, yeah, no, not buying into that. And and, and I think it's, all, you know, I think there's so many different things for what, you know, how we can, how we can, I guess, rise up. I mean, I, I feel like, for example, you look at movements like, it's, is it Nanas for Forests, for the forests? It's, there's an older um, group of women who are doing environmental campaigning. And I think, you know, that kind of stuff is really powerful. Mm. Like, you know, things are bad when, <laughs> when, when Nana's are standing bad. up. Like, yeah. yeah. No, it's not okay. yeah. You know, I do believe in that whole baby boomer thing is, mm. is moving through, you know, and, and it is changing things as it goes. Like, I think, for example, I, I do think that, you know, obviously I would at this stage of life, 60 is a new 40. If I think about my mother at 40, she was seemed a lot older mm. than I seem at 57. And same with my grandmother, much more so. So we are definitely claiming, I guess, a more, a more, I don't know, empowered and youthful or whatever way of, of um, you know, we're doing what we want to do. I think that it's, it's just really making me think because I'm just thinking, yes, we can do things individually, but maybe we need to start a movement. <laughs> maybe we need to... <laughs> We need to do more around this because I think there's something about, I guess, collectively just saying, you know, this is this is such an important time of life. I mean, mm. I haven't really talked about it yet, but there's something about um, menopause, which I find, me personally, and I know everybody's so different, but I find, again, incredibly liberating. You know, like I remember the very first time I came to Europe was 1979. I was 14 years old. And, of course, I didn't really know anything at all. I was so green, this little Perth girl. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. I'm going to have to take a whole suitcase of sanitary wear because, you know, I didn't sort of think that maybe <laughs> you they buy that somewhere else. Wear in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I remember that was such a big thing and I've had, you know, other trips, you know, like 
some periods of time when perimenopausal when I would sometimes have flooding and you know like just such a pain Mm. and like yeah I'm just like not even an issue don't even have to think about it so it's that, that incredible lightness and every now and then I think about and think yeah I don't even have to think and worry about that yeah at yeah so there's again there's it releases to me it releases a certain amount of energy around that but yeah i mean that really that really gets me thinking though so much around i know that some women really struggle with menopause Mm. i remember listening to this really interesting podcast an author and i'm sorry i don't have her name at the top of my fingers at the moment but she talked about how at one point People thought that menopause lasted a year because that was how long the only study. Yeah, hundred. I've read that same. I read that really recent because I'm. We're getting ready to do a couple of episodes on menopause, and I was just reading that. That mm. yeah, there was there'd only been one study. It only lasted a year, and I think there were sixteen participants in it or something like that. So, you know, based on those sixteen participants for a year, that's all the that's all there was. That was all there is. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. I think to to discover, and I think like, I suppose for me, I, I'm very passionate about, you know, I suppose at heart, I'm always a women's health advocate. You know, and again, I think it, it gets back to a lot of those things around informed choices. Yeah. And there's a, a, a few really key informed choice points for women. I went along to um, at women's health um, barefaced stories. It was it was a yes. really amazing night. You know, and so women were talking about things like endometriosis mm. they were talking about you know early, you know having babies you know very premature yeah there was a really rare condition um, one woman shared her hmol pregnancy which essentially becomes like a cancer and oh. you know her journey to becoming a mother after you know yeah which was you know very uplifting but you know there was a range of different things you know and and so for example what can happen early in a, in, in a woman's life when she begins her period and she has that terrible pain and it's just oh well it's a period what do you expect that's so it. well no that's that's not what you expect so I think that slowly 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 is coming and then of course birth choices you know which is what I presented and talked about was one of my great passions is is, is women being at choice with what what they choose um, then and, and how that that can then impact on a range of different things mm. but then of course I've got my perimenopause story where I was advised to have an endometrial ablation which is basically when they get rid of the endometrium yeah to help with the flooding because i was flooding and yeah. low, low low iron um low, yeah thank you low iron and what happens is the system wants you to have a hysterectomy yes yeah whereas an endometrial ablation is is such a non-invasive it's 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 only for women who are no longer having going to have a family but mm. it's literally there is it's not surgery in, in the sense of there's no there's no site that they don't have to cut you or anything like that and at worst you'll get a little bit of cramping the next day whereas we know a hysterectomy is a massive six-week process of healing plus you've got the issues of you know potential prolapse yeah and of course then that's going to lead me on to my other issue which is which starts at birth and goes all the way through there which is what can happen then women may have ended up you know with mesh implants that Mm. they may not have known about and there may have been other things like physiotherapy or individual ablations or other things you know so it's so for me there's this a range of um, empowered choices for women that that need to be somehow championed for people to know about I yeah think there's this there's such enormous gaps in knowledge and people think oh I don't really want to talk about that and it's so important yeah. so these choices really impact our day-to-day life I was talking to somebody last week actually 
who has a prolapse and well, that's just normal and well, no it's it's a normal thing you know it does happen it occurs but you don't have to live with that and you know so through the course of that conversation she was going yes but when you're raising children who's got time to look after something like that and oh surely like you've been suffering with this and she was suffering with it surely is there's got to be something we can do to shift the priority so that you didn't have to wait until your children had all left home before you could consider the, like looking after yourself in this way so and I remember when I first started work I think I got one baby and another one on the way and my boss at the time said to me you know don't try and be superwoman because what it does is it sets a bar that other people feel that that's normal that you've got to live up to and and it does like as women where everybody comes first and you've got to manage everything and you've got to hold everything but at sometimes you've got to step back and actually look after yourself as well and I often try and say to people you know if you're not looking after yourself what happens if you're not here to look after everybody else like take the time it's not selfish you're actually putting your family first by looking after yourself but it's not the messages that we're used to hearing, is it? No, it's really not. And I think, you know, I do feel like self-care can seem like a really radical act. Um, and yet it's, it's, it's extra important. People, you know, get the idea of, you know, the aeroplane, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on your kid. But I think it, it can be really, really difficult for people to, for women, for women mm. to live that. And obviously women are encouraged to be, you know, attractive and they're encouraged to be quiet and they're encouraged to be carers. You know, up until really the last two or three generations in the Western world, I know this is Western world specific, mm. women didn't really have the opportunity to express themselves elsewhere. And I think, you know, it's so recent that we actually have the opportunity to express ourselves through work and careers and so forth. And what's been so difficult is that none of the other stuff has gone anywhere so whilst men have stepped up a little bit they haven't stepped up completely yeah and certainly the way i feel the way our society is run in australia is raising the set that the next generation is considered an optional extra mm -hmm. it's not considered absolutely at the core of what we require to um, thrive as a, as a group <laughs> yeah that really pushes something really back on women a lot and you know there's there's a lot of complexities around that but it, it is it gets to be but it's a really radical act if you put yourself first but I'm I'm a great believer in radical and I guess you know in many, many ways I know I'm not really that typical of a lot of women and I don't I don't really know why that is it's funny I've, I've partnered with someone who's not a very typical male who doesn't really want to do the breadwinner I don't really want to do the housewife <laughs> the thing. yeah yeah, you know, and so it's it's a really interesting, you know, it, it is quite, it, it's actually quite radical. Yeah, it's very very hard, I think, for men to say, oh well, I don't really want to be the breadwinner. You can be the breadwinner. Yes, yeah. it's hard. It's bread in the bone. Yeah, and look, we have similar similar household here, where yeah, my husband similar client kind of thing exactly, and and look, it's been challenging in lots of ways, but you know, seeing the way that mothers fawn over him for taking the kids to school or you know oh my god he's so amazing he helped out in kindy I said you helped out in kindy oh that's not the same is it it's exactly the same it is literally exactly the same thing 
let's not like he's he's a good dad he's a good husband he does you know not taking anything away from him but let's not throw him a ticker tape parade for doing the exact same thing that you're doing but he just has a different gender and yet it's still happening 2022 we're still celebrating men for doing things that women do every day yes parenting Mm, yeah that's it parenting not babysitting your child parenting so and yes it's a one really of the, hard one to shift isn't it oh it is it really is but it's one foot in front of the other I also heard you say that women are encouraged to be quiet you know not to stand up not to speak out in public so definitely how do we shift that oh what a big question hey sometimes I think it's about I mean, I suppose, you know, the saying, power is, is never ceded. It can only be taken. I think I think we do have to take our voices back. Mm. I, I feel often there is a lot of power in story, obviously, because for me as an advocate, um, I have actually prioritised writing over, you know, doing the hard yards of running an organisation. So I'll always want to do, you know, certain things around systemic change, but I don't want to take that commitment all the way to actually running an organization anymore mm. and, and I guess I feel that is because stories are so powerful and stories bring data alive this, yeah, yeah what do they say stories are data with soul that's it yeah and I think yeah and I think it's really um I think there's something around women telling stories I met for example this fantastic woman at a it was one of those rather infuriating for me infuriating consultations around women's it's a, a women's legal policy or something. I'm like, what is this going to do apart from create another document? Because we're it. very, very good at creating documents as a nation. To put on we're the shelf and gather dust. Yeah. Yeah. We, the implementation bit mm. is, is, is a real, that's, that's across the board. Really, it's something that as advocates, we have to be constantly pushing for, show me the implementation, how are you going to report the implementation and so forth. But anyway, I digress. So at this particular consultation, I met this um, amazing woman. So she'd been doing a lot of work with young women against sexual violence. And what they've been doing is a lot of events mm-hmm. and storytelling, like like really structured, you know, safe space around storytelling and, and bringing women into this, young women into this space where they can start to really find their voice. And like once you find your voice, it's it's a game changer. So I guess perhaps that's my answer to your question mm. is that we do need to find our voices. So women who have a voice, you know, if we can help others to find their voice, great. But yeah, also find your own voice and you know, we've just got to we've got to speak up. Yeah. And I, I, think- I often feel like I often feel like, you know, why are women not marching in the streets about mm-hmm. some of these issues around women's health and birth choices and Yeah. You know, the care of the older woman, I just think this is so not good enough. It is not good enough. And I, I think when you do find your voice, own it. So how many times have you sat around a board table and heard women say, I'm sorry, can I just say, and those are the two, they're my absolute pet pet, pet, pet peeves, I'm sorry, no, no, you've got nothing to be sorry for. You haven't done anything wrong. So no, I'm sorry. And can I just say, like that just, it cuts it off at the knees, doesn't it? Here's my thought. This is what I'm thinking with what you're sharing at the moment. And so great that you're interjecting, but own that thought and just, you know, 
share that without any need to apologize for having your own thought. Yeah, and that takes time and oh. that takes practice. It's, yes. It's, it really does. Like bringing some conscious thought is really important. I certainly am a sorry, a sorry, sorry, sorry. So I've had to really work on, no, that's that's not okay. Mm. And I think too, I have had a lot of experience where I might be the only person in a room of 30 people who's not clinically trained. And so trying to bring that everyday voice into the room does require a certain amount of assumed meekness, even if it's not necessarily <laughs> genuine <laughs> at times. It's really interesting, you know, I feel like in our, in our health system in particular, we are unfortunately caught in a bit of a paradigm of are the doctors happy? Mm. And until the doctors are happy, you can't take the first step. I do hope that that's one of those things that we do disrupt a little bit more. I personally feel like, you know, and I know I'm going back into my favourite topic of health consumer advocacy, <laughs> but I do feel as patients, we can feel very patients and carers. You can feel very disempowered, but actually once you speak up, people will go, oh, God, the consumer said this, we better do something. Yeah. So, again, there's the, there's that collective power that we could, I think, definitely leverage more than, than we have so far. Mm. So circling all the way back, when you were heading towards turning 50, did you have any trepidation about the number, you know, half a century, big five O, any of that kind of stuff? I do remember 49 being a really turbulent year and it really felt, as I say, like that energy pushing against the gate saying, if not now, when? You've got mm. to do it. Come on, do it, yeah. girl. Do it, do it, do it. And that for me was around finding myself as an author and I'm sure everybody's life journey is so different. And I, and I know it was, it, was definitely, it was definitely intertwined with my daughter is becoming an adult. And, our, you know, like, for example, for me, the almost out-of-body experience when my daughter was driving me and I was a passenger so a hundred percent going into a yeah. paper bag for the audience <laughs> there's something completely discombobulating about handing over that that parental power and that was one of those moments where it was really hard but there's also been I guess so many where I've I've just really enjoyed it I, I absolutely love now my daughter's 24 just we have to make time to catch up and it yeah. will be like we'll go out and have some wine and olives and talk about things and it's just absolute joy I really I really do enjoy it but to get back to your specific question around the trepidation I don't know I don't know that I did and and, and maybe maybe that's you know maybe that's a product of all sorts of things mm. like I do have parents that are a lot older than me so that's been a great blessing in many ways you know so I can see for me like turning 60 is really exciting and I think I've got another 30 years of being a writer so yeah. I, I can definitely still do this but I, you know as mentioned I do need to speed up a yeah. little bit <laughs> yeah. be good to get more than get three books out. out right yeah yeah but but I think for me personally I felt a lot of if not now when energy mm. and the actual process of turning 50 it just felt like a glorious year like the birth like I made sure that I celebrated it and that was a great decision for me and it mm. was really wonderful affirming joyous yeah joyous experience of turning 50 and I highly recommend that rather than hiding away from the birthdays that that, that you have a crack at embracing them it's interesting that people do seem to go one of you know one of two ways that either to hide away and just ignore it I don't want to acknowledge it it feels too big it feels too overwhelming and if I acknowledge it then it will be real versus 
I'm going to embrace that this is something to be celebrated. So, you know, for my 40th birthday, I think I celebrated for three weeks so <laughs> and spread it I out for as long as possible. Yeah. Oh, I definitely think you should spread your birthdays out over three weeks whenever you can. That's, yeah. Keep that up forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm someone who takes my birthday off from work every year because I think I deserve it. <laughs> so. Absolutely. But I was thinking too, you know, because I know you're right, not everybody, not everybody wants to have a celebration, but there are things, you know, and again, it's about, it's about tapping into to yourself. Yeah. What, what, would, what would it be for you? What would it look like for you to feel like? this is, I'm, I'm going to mark this in some mm. way. For some people, it might be like, I'm going to go do that uh, retreat that I've always wanted to do. Or I'm going to, I don't know, go on that walk, do the Camino or something, yeah. something like that, that you don't even necessarily need to tell anyone about it. But just that there's, we all have it. There's there's an urge in there somewhere. And and I think it's about really, I think the, the transition to 50 to me it really felt like that was a fantastic opportunity to just listen to that still small voice and give it some room. So what did you do to celebrate your 50th? So I had a party. <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to think what else, you know, I, I feel like I became an author and, and yeah. to a party. It was amazing. How did it feel? And I, I, I was going to say, how did it feel? You've got, you were working on the book for 11 years. How did it feel to finally get it out there it was an incredible release of energy like it was you know like when you're handing an assignment and, yeah. and it's like, oh it was that sort of feeling and I do remember I did I did two book launches I did one sort of more like an industri- industry one with WA Council of Social Services who I was working with at the time and then I did one just myself at a writer's center and the one at the writer's center by the end of the event my heart was just full it yeah. was full so I wouldn't say I've been able to quit my day job I've had a lot of <laughs> commercial success I mean that's not really to me that's not what really writing is about unfortunately only about four percent of writers can live off writing mm. so for the 96 percent of us it's about you do it because you have to firstly plus also it, it provides all these incredible opportunities like just at the moment I'm on the emerging writers program which our writing centers in WA offer through funding from the Department of Culture and the Arts and it's just an absolute game changer having somebody having a mentor there that you've got to show up to having a range of workshops having a group of people we're all suffering together it's really you know it's a really incredible process Mm -hmm. but if I wind back to when I was 49 I also similar to now (laughs) you know Seb I do believe in my seven cycles um, I was also changing jobs and um you know, I was actually going to start a business, but the Health Consumers Council exec director role came up and I just knew in my heart I had to give that a crack and I, and I gave it seven, seven years. incredible years. Mm. And you just postponed that starting the business for seven years, right? Yeah, and now it's different. So now I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm calling it my menopausal gap year so I don't really know what I'm doing. But <laughs> I am having fun. And, and um, like menopause, doesn't necessarily need to just last a year. Just saying Definitely that gap not. year could last, you know. <laughs> and of course, financially, I'm in a different position than I was seven years ago. Mm. What I experienced over that seven years was I experienced being breadwinner. Yeah, I actually did breadwinning for most of that seven years, and that was a bit in- uncomfortable in the beginning. Going, oh, actually, this is a bit. Oh. And you know, I still had, you know, like I covered all the bills and stuff, but but I didn't need, like, say, to give my husband spending money. So yeah. I wasn't doing the full 
breadwinning, but I, I did the breadwinning and it was a really, it's a, it's a great opportunity. And if women can, can take that opportunity, I'd highly recommend it. It's just a really great, it just, it just helps to keep on resetting yeah. those age old, age old um, gender stereotypes. And it is, it's empowering. How does it feel now to be with, I guess, insecure income and to not be the breadwinner? Well, look, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the COVID job market is completely different. Like, mm, yeah, I it mean, is. Seven years ago, it was a big risk to, to leave your job. You go, oh, gosh, you know, you take yeah. it. Now you're kind of like, oh, look. And I'm, I'm at doing consultancy work at the moment, just really trying, you know, just testing it out to see if it, it's still a good fit. But honestly, there's just so much work. There's yeah. just so much work. And you're bored. Um, and for me, I'm really looking to see how can I, I mean, my dream life would be writing and volunteering. I, I volunteer in my residence association. That's just, that it just fills me with absolute joy. Unfortunately, it doesn't actually earn anything. It doesn't so, pay the bills, sadly, does it? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. just wanting to make sure I'm, I'm really trying to focus on getting the two golden writing hours in. Mm. And that doesn't sound like much, but it's actually, it's got to be your two best hours energetically over the day. Yeah. So I'm still trying to get that right. And once I feel like I can get that right, I don't know. I'll see how I go. I might keep on going because I, I do like working. I would also just say, you know, and again, I know I'm quite privileged, but I'm in a position where I do have some, you know, some passive income, so I don't have to take any job yeah. and be a little choosy. So, I, yeah, I do speak from a very privileged position. Yeah. But like you say, with the COVID job market the way that it is at the moment, there's lots to fall back on if need be. Absolutely. It's, it's now is a really good time, I think, to try things out. And they talk, they called it the great COVID resignation. And yeah. I thought, yep, I'm just, I'm just part of a trend because I just did have that feeling of like, I, I can't keep on working like this. Yeah. I did also feel like as my 50s are moving through to my 60s, I feel like there's, there's different things for different seasons. And it's like, you know, I have done, I have done a lot of work. I've worked very hard since I was 18. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, okay, there's, there's, there is something around, you know, actually having more time to reflect and more time for stillness that I think I need to be looking at. And I think that comes... So you've been talking about 50, but I'm looking at 60. Yeah. And it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> but it comes back to that idea around self-care, doesn't it? And I think often when we yeah. talk about self-care... People get the idea that self-care is going and paying and having your nails done or, you know, something frivolous. But I think the last three years have meant that doing nothing and resting is almost impossible. We're all waiting for the next the next major issue to drop and the next catastrophe that we need to find solutions for. So everyone's on edge. You can't relax. You can't rest. And we're doing that in a society that celebrates busyness and so that slowing down that you're talking about it's another societal pressure to go against to be able to slow down and to be able to go you know it's okay for me to be sitting out on the swing reading a book with a cup of tea I'm not wasting my time doing this and it's interesting you know I've been I've been listening to you but I've got this urge to say something around I feel like your question sort of you know worrying away at me about how do we how do we find our voice and how do we change these things and and there's something about really important about being still and I think journaling I think journaling Mm. is one of those really important secret unlockers for women in particular yeah and 
I, I would just really encourage people if they've never journaled to give it a crack. I hundred percent agree, and I for me, I find journaling is a great way to be my own expert. You know, start out, put a pen to a paper, and all of a sudden, an issue that's been so you know in the background that you haven't even thought about comes to the forefront, and as you're writing, the solutions in front of you, and you know, and I think it's incredibly powerful. It's an incredibly powerful tool that we don't. I think, in fact, we probably mock. You know, a teenage girl with a diary, and that's mm. we need to we need to reset that as well. Yes, I've heard I've heard reflection described as a superpower, mm. and journaling unlocks the superpower of reflection. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, any thoughts for people who might be listening to this, who are heading towards a big birthday, heading towards fifty, and feeling like this is scary? Any thoughts for them? I guess I would say be rebellious, don't be scared, embrace it. <laughs> and what about for the people who are looking forward to embracing it? What would you say to them? Oh, just it just gets better and better. It really does. It gets better and better. There's a lot of measures that show how life really gets richer and better the older you get. And you spoke about journaling. Any tips or hints for how somebody who has never journaled before or somebody that has only journaled when they were 13 in a, you know, with a diary with a padlock, how do you get into journaling or how do you get back to journaling? Look, I think there's a few, uh, there's a really fantastic book that I read, The Lightmaker's Manifesto. Ah, um, yes. So The Lightmaker's Manifesto are really describes you know because she she certainly went through that phase of you know journaling herself and I think that that book is really for women who are wanting to create change which mm. I'm pretty sure a lot of your listeners are into mm. and it really has some has a lot of really important things to say around you know self-care and and basically directing your energy to the things that are most important to you so I think that's a really good one I don't know I, it's with some trepidation I would say the artist's way by Julia Cameron I think mm. that's not necessarily for people that are writing or drawing or whatever it's it's actually much more it's actually like a 12-step process for recovering yeah. your um, innate creativity and so she she does this thing called morning pages mm -hmm. where you basically just write for I think it's three pages three longhand. pages yeah. there's certainly yeah there's something about longhand writing that's different from typing so if you can actually just take some time to do longhand writing it's it's really worth it yeah yeah, yeah. And, and there is something in that book around why putting pen to paper works better than typing, but it's a long time since I read that book, so I can't remember what I can't remember why she. Yeah, I think partly partly it's because the letters are all different shapes, whereas mm. the key taps are all just a key tap, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So there's something there's something a little bit different, and it's probably a little bit more analog. Yeah, and honestly, I, I think. You know, stationery. Who does not love some? Come on, stationery. Oh, the best thing ever in the world. I know. <laughs> Do love me my stationery. It's nothing quite oh. as nice as beautiful paper and a lovely pen. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gone. I've gone to it. My beautiful stepson gave me a um, like a calligraphy pen for or a you know like a nib pen oh. for Christmas, and it's just the best thing. Mm. I never write with anything else now. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know you're a grown-up? You get excited about saucepans and calligraphy pens. 
pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, so before we wrap up, have you got any final thoughts or anything else that you'd like to share around the idea of women aging and how we can embrace power and reclaim voices? Anything that you want to add or share? I guess I'd just like to say that we are incredibly powerful and we get more powerful. We just have to let ourselves. So do not buy into what society says because usually what it says is rubbish. Yeah. I 100% Get off that agree. socials. Oh, <laughs> yes, I know. Um, it's the biggest time suck and energy suck going, isn't it? But still I sit there scrolling. Yeah. And it gives you that, that terrible comparison that's just so, so damaging and so corrosive. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Remembering the Insta lens that everybody puts on the things that they post on socials. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate having you, particularly since you're joining me from the other side of the world. But I always enjoy chatting with you. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts and insights into turning 50 and the excitement and what you're looking forward to the next decade mm-hmm. and what that might bring. Yeah, and uh, to all your listeners, just enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of A Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. For more information on the services we offer, head to whws.org.au or Women's Health and Wellbeing Services on YouTube and social media. Looking forward to the next episode where we uncover the hidden world of women.